Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Human Experience Live Show. We've got an incredible show planned for you guys today on this day of freedom in the good old USA. So sit back, grab some of those freedom fries, maybe a drink. Enjoy the show we've got planned for you guys today. My guest for you today is Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. Dr. Miller is a clinical psychologist with a keen interest in the potential of psychedelic medicine to treat health conditions and to help us explore our consciousness. Dr. Miller has a cons- has been a consultant to the U.S. Department of Justice. He's been an, an advisor to the President's Commission on Mental Health, and he's also held a faculty position at the University of Michigan and Stanford. Uh, we're going to be discussing Dr. Miller's latest work, which is a book called Psychedelic Medicine, the Healing Powers of LSD, MDMA, Psilocybin, and Ayahuasca. Dr. Miller, it's a pleasure to have you here today, sir. Thank you for making the time to be here. Welcome to HXP. Well, it's really fun to be with you on July 4th. We're talking about psychedelic medicine, which uh, hopefully is going to bring a, a new generation of people a lot of freedom, and we're doing it on our day of freedom. So thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be something if we actually had the freedom without the possible persecution of you know being in jail to, to choose what we put decide to put or not put into our bodies? Um Dr. Miller, let's start off by, you know, give us a little bit about your background, your history. How long have you been practicing medicine? At what point did you make the turning point? At what point did you wake up to these compounds as medicinal compounds? I was um, I was in graduate school and I heard about uh, Leary and Alpert's work at Harvard and I bought their book, The Tibetan Book of the Dead. And in it, there were instructions for how to take uh, a psychedelic uh, lysergic acid, LSD. And um, they said that if you ate a certain kind of morning glory seeds uh, that you could get almost anywhere, heavenly blue or pearly gates, uh, you would have the LSD experience. So my one of my classmates and I very soon thereafter went out, bought out the store from their heavenly blue and pearly gates, uh, set up a time and proceeded to each eat uh, 400 seeds. It wasn't so easy getting 400 morning glory seeds down, by the way. Yikes. But that, that was my first psychedelic experience. That was in 1965. Hmm. And, uh, and what I saw in that experience uh, opened up doors. Uh, I mean, what I saw when the doors were opened up is a better way of putting it was was so uh, uh, soul-searching and so uh, soul-shaking and so phenomenal and uh, words could hardly describe that I knew that I had entered uh, a new realm and a realm that had, uh, it was just obvious that this was a realm that had a great potential for uh, human beings, a great potential for discovery, a great potential for creativity, 
and a great potential for healing. And so that all came to me during that first experience with uh, Heavenly Blue and Pearly Gates Morning Glory Seats in mm. 1965. LSD was still legal then, by the way. Okay. Okay. And so give us a little bit about your education, your your background. How long, I mean, where did you go to school? How long have you been practicing medicine? Uh, tell, us, tell us about that, please. I just want to credential this conversation. I, yeah, I've been practicing for... Um, well, let's see now, uh, 34, four, over 50 years. And uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, my, my first uh, academic position was at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, then I went on and I did uh, research. I was involved in a research project for one year at Stanford University. And um, it was during that period that I was influenced by the work of uh, Fritz Perls and Virginia Satir uh, at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur in California. Mm -hmm. And um, so I left academia. I set up a clinic in San Francisco and uh, proceeded to do my work. I also, in 1972, uh, I had made, uh, prior, before I say what I did in 72, while I was at Esalen in the late 60s, I started to study balneology. Uh, balneology is a Greek word. It means uh, the use of hot mineral water that comes out of the ground for healing purposes. Hmm. And so I, I started looking around. I was very fortunate that the timing was right. And I was able to find a hot springs for sale that had um, what people considered to be uh, the most remarkable, the most medicinal water. It was called Wilbur Hot Springs, mm -hmm. and I bought that in 1972 uh, and uh, proceeded to, uh, to work, work on it and create a health sanctuary there, while at the same time I was in private practice and I was leading groups and I was pursuing uh, research in psychedelic studies. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's a perfect parallel to, you know, push, pushing or at least educating people, re-educating people. I mean, something happened, you know, in the 1980s with the Reagan administration and that that sort of dead reptilian blinkless stare that Nancy Reagan had when she said, you know, just say no. And that whole campaign started. And, you know, there was something in the introduction of your book that you make very clear, which I really enjoyed reading. You just say, you know, what's happening in America? What's, you know, what's going on here? And you start to go into the socioeconomic conditions of you know, maybe why these drugs may be illegal and, you know, what's happening as far as their relationship to consciousness. Can you go into that for us? Like, what's, why can I go down the street and buy alcohol and cigarettes, but, you know, not something, not something else that might open my mind per se? Well, that's a great question. And uh, since you mentioned alcohol, I'm going to uh, bring in something here. Uh, many of your listeners are aware of the fact that in 1962, the Surgeon General of the United States issued the first uh, serious and major report on the negative effects of uh, nicotine and smoking hmm. on the human system. And that changed the course of the United States at least in uh, the course was changed. We still have, I think, 25 or 30 million smokers, which is quite unfortunate. But the world the, uh, became uh, under that influence of knowledge, namely nicotine smoking is dangerous. Mm -hmm. and, 
and about within the last few months, scientists from, I think, nine or more countries in Europe did a major study, the biggest study that's ever been done in, in, uh, in recorded history on alcohol. And the headline uh, of that study is that alcohol is toxic in any amount to the human system. And this is really important. I know it's not the subject of our talk today. It's psychedelic no medicine which is important, and I certainly want to get to. But I, I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to, to just uh, tell those listeners that haven't seen this report. And it was published in the most prestigious journal in all of England called Lancet. Uh, and it's easily um, available for people to, uh, to look up, of course, on Google. Uh, but this is a, it's very important because on the one hand, as you point out, Alcohol is readily available everywhere in the United States. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the scientists have now said that it's a toxic substance just the way it was determined that nicotine is a toxic substance. No one has ever said that LSD or psilocybin, ayahuasca uh, 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 or MDMA are toxic substances. They've simply used morality and, and misguided judgment and racism to make them illegal. And as you also said in your introduction, you know, a person, it's, it's absurd, but a person risks prison time for taking one of these substances in the privacy of their own home when they are not going to hurt themselves or any other human being in the world, mm -hmm. but they do prison for time for, for engaging in that act. It, it's irrational. It's misguided. It's political. Uh, but it's not in the interests of the American public to continue. And I think changes are happening. We, we're seeing change happening. And that's the positive. Within the last couple of weeks, the United States government actually put in print for the first time in my career over 50 years, mm -hmm. the government put in print that they see that there is potential for psychedelic medicine to be beneficial to people. That was a major, a major breakthrough. So I think, I think we're on the verge of a renaissance, just like the country is going through a renaissance with regard to its attitudes about uh, tetrahydrocannabinol, marijuana. Sure. And we all, we all know that, it's obvious, it's in all the papers, one state after another are, are, are legalizing or uh, legal, either medicinal use or recreational use. So it appears that some change is coming after a very dark night that lasts over 60 years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible how archaic these laws are. And, you know, you make a perfect case in point for it. In the opening of your book, you talk about uh, Harry Anslinger and some of the ideology that he used uh, in the 1930s to start to enforce these laws because apparently people thought that you know, like he, he started to prosecute, you know, Mexicans for marijuana, blacks for cocaine. And then there was this disinformation, as you write, it, that that m people of minority, people of color would use drugs to seduce the white woman. And the, the public roared over this, right? That was the method. That was the one of the primary methods that Harry Anslinger used to turn the American Congress uh, away from legalized, keeping these medicines legal and towards creating an illegal structure for them. That was it, that these, these, these minority groups are going to use these, these drugs 
to seduce white women. And that just got the ire up of a whole class of people in the United States and one after another, the Harrison Act and so on for marijuana, one after another were made illegal. The, the medical doctors in this country, many people don't know this, but a lot of medical doctors in this country went to prison because they refused to stop prescribing heroin to their patients. The medical doctors in this country at one time had the whole heroin situation under control. It was a prescription medicine. They used it for pain. They used it, they helped people withdraw and we did not have a big heroin problem. Mm -hmm. And when heroin was made illegal, it was taken away from the medical doctors. Many of them kept prescribing it and went to prison. Thousands of them went to prison. That's easily available on Google also, by the way. Um, because they didn't want to go along with it. But eventually, of course, the whole country did. Uh, so the, the drugs were made illegal and we filled up, of course, what happened. Well, two things happen when you make a substance illegal. Mm -hmm. One, you create a criminal gang because sure. as soon as you make something illegal, there's a criminal group that's going to be selling it and going to make money off it. So in terms of what you're talking about, this thing that Reagan started with his wife, the war on drugs, what, what he created was the biggest criminal enterprise in, the, in all of history. Mm -hmm. The cartels have taken over entire countries. Entire countries have been taken over by, by drug cartels because of the opportunity they had to sell something that shouldn't have been illegal to begin with. It's a similar thing to what the mafia did. The mafia took, took advantage of prohibition to make their fortune, and then when prohibition was over, they just moved all that illegal money into legal enterprises and they're sitting fat back now, uh, 50 years, 70 years later, uh, on, their, on their ill-gotten gains. A similar kind of thing. So, yes, that's what we have. We have cartels owning countries around the world. And we still have this, this war on drugs, which is really a war on people, as you point out. Absolutely. It's not a war on drugs. It's a war on people. And it's mostly a war on black people and yellow people and pe uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. yeah. Harry Harry Anslinger was an ardent racist. He was well known for it. He, he, he was known for going to Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan and having the famous singer Billie Holiday chained to her hospital bed because he was upset because one of her songs, Strange Fruit, was a song about heroin. Hmm. And so he, he actually handcuffed her to her hospital bed in Bellevue. That's on record. So, yeah, this is but but the bottom line of all of this, and I think the most important point of all the things we're talking about, and it's a very sad point hmm. and it's a very difficult point, is that we really cannot trust our government hmm. wow. is the sad point. We cannot trust our government because they are influenced by irrationality. They're influenced by money, mostly. Sure. And they simply lie and they lie and both sides of the aisle. They simply lie to the American people. And it's a reprehensible situation because we, we cannot trust our own government. Mm. And what that means is when we hear stuff on the television, we don't know anymore whether it's spin, whether it's fake news, whether it's real news, whether it's news that the owner of the station wants us to believe, sure. whether it's news that the reporter wants us to believe or whether it actually happened. Right. So what they've done, and I say they, we, we can get into who the they are, but what they've done is really create a kind of 
craziness because craziness is when you can't trust anything. You can't trust what you see. You can't trust what you feel or smell. What do you do then? And so a lot of people are suffering. But I think let's get back to our topic on psychedelic medicine and how that fits into this terrible political situation we've created. We're going to get right into that. I just I just want to bring up one other point. I just want to hammer this home. It, I'm sure you know of Gary Webb. He wrote a series called The Dark Alliance. It was uh, examining the origins of crack cocaine in the Los Angeles area, and he found out this link between the CIA and the Contras in Nicaragua. And it turns out the CIA was actually funding like all of this stuff. I mean, the drug trade. So it was, so, you know, there is a deep rooted mistrust between what, what's going on with the people. And then also the people that are in charge and, and making these laws for us, for our own good. I, I don't, I don't see that anymore. You know, I don't see that. And, they tried this with prohibition. It, it just didn't work with prohibition. And when you push something into the realm of being illegal, it doesn't go away. As you said, it just turns criminal it, into a criminal enterprise. And you just push it underground. If someone really wants something, they're going to find a way to obtain it, right? So, I mean, maybe maybe people, in many of the people that you've that you interviewed for this book, um, Dennis McKenna, Rick Doblin, Stan Groff, James Fadiman, we've had on the show. We've had on this show to talk about this. And, you know, I just, I think it's interesting that, you know, like like I said a minute ago, that you know, anyone suffering, you know, from pain can, it can go down the street and buy alcohol to numb that pain away. But when it comes to something like ayahuasca, now they're they're suddenly finding themselves on you know a ten hour flight down to Peru. Maybe they're dropping three, four, five thousand dollars to you know tour with a shaman. They hang out for a week. You know what I mean? So let's get into the substances. Let's get into you know LSD. When, where did you like? What part of your research indicated that LSD could have such a large impact on impact on PTSD? Okay, I'm going to answer that question, but before I do, I just want to go back to a point you just made. Okay. You, you, you pointed out to, to your listeners that Gary Webb uh, wrote this book, The Dark Alliance, which showed that the CIA was directly involved in the cocaine trade, which is accurate. Right. Uh, Gary Webb supposedly committed suicide. Sure, yeah. At age 49. And, you know, when I hear that a guy who exposed the CIA committed suicide, my eyebrows both go up one at a time. Mm-hmm. That sounds odd. So I just wanted to make that point. Yep. Uh, I do know that what he was saying in that book, I have personal experience with because I treated uh, CIA people uh, for cocaine addiction uh, earlier in my career. And I had inside information about what was going on down there. And there was no question that the CIA was uh, was in the cocaine business. Hmm. Uh, but that was another, you know, one of the great lies that, that gets told to the American public. All right. Getting back to the connection <laughs> yes. between the psychedelic medicines and post-traumatic stress disorder. Let's get it. Well, that. yeah. Um, the, the, right now. We're on a we're in a situation where a certain amount more of more uh, research is being allowed. Remember, 
for 50, 60 years, we actually lived in a situation where research, research was suppressed. Research in the United States was suppressed. That in and of itself is horrific. That's the kind of thing when I was growing up, you'd th- you hear, okay, research is suppressed in Russia. Research might be suppressed in China, you know, one of those bad countries. Whoever heard about research, university research being suppressed in the United States? Well, it turns out research is suppressed in the United States. Psychedelic medicine is one of the areas of research that's been suppressed, and there are others. Mm-hmm. But that in and of itself should tell your listeners volumes. What does it say about a government that suppresses scientists? What does it tell you? We're not talking now about cartel members. We're not talking about kids in high school making laboratories in their houses. We're not talking about underground situations or weird situations or Dr. No on an island. Mm -hmm. We're talking about university professors whose lives are science. And those people have been suppressed for over 60 years in our country. It's 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 uns- it's and I wouldn't even say it's unspeakable, but it's not unspeakable because we're speaking about it. Sure. And I, I hope we keep speaking about it until until the research is allowed. Even now, it's not the, it, it's difficult to do what you have to go through in order to do the research is is be- beyond your wildest imagination what you have to go through because of the way they watch these substances mm-hmm. and what they make you go through in order to create a research laboratory. Getting back to all the, the, your good question about the connection between the psychedelics and PTSD. Okay. MDMA cr- presently is considered to be the number one choice for post-traumatic stress disorder, partly because we have more research, thanks to Rick Doblin and MAPS. Sure. We have more research on MDMA use for the research uh, for, uh, for PTSD research on LSD so much harder to find you have to go back to pre-1967 and there was plenty of research then mm-hmm. but I just go on record as saying that right now the number one choice of the psychedelics for post-traumatic stress disorder is MDMA MDMA is is, is considered by many to be an entheogen you know, it gives you a sense of a of a mystical or religious experience, and it's known as the heart opener. And anybody who's ever taken MDMA knows what, why it's called the heart opener, because it, it opens us up in a way that our defenses are down mm-hmm. far, and we speak under MDMA easily from the heart. Mm-hmm. And so it's an excellent uh, medicine for couples therapy, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's an excellent medicine, um, uh, medicine for psychotherapy. I was fortunate in that I was able to have uh, MDMA administered to me by my therapist while it was still legal and used in therapy. So I I have a lot of uh, I had a lot of firsthand experience with it, uh, and I, I I I felt its power, and I experienced how much it did for my own personal work. Um, LSD, I don't know if I'm prepared to say 
that LSD is a medicine for po- for for specifically for post traumatic stress disorder. I would say LSD is a medicine for anywhere you want to take it mm-hmm. because it enables us to see things about ourselves in a very short period of time that might otherwise either take years or not even be available. I mean, this medicine, I'm probably speaking to the choir because I imagine so many of your listeners have have, have experienced it, but I would hope that they've experienced it in a medicinal way in addition to whatever they've done recreationally. Mm-hmm. Because the medicinal way that we're talking about on this program, it's the, I'm not in any way besmirching or, or demeaning recreational use. That's a whole nother topic. I'm talking strictly about a, a medicinal use, which means you follow a, a protocol. You, you go about it in a certain way in, with a certain set in a certain setting. I, to me, LSD may be, the tool that's going to enable us to do self-healing of physical parts. And, and, and a lot, if I may, I'm going to say a little bit more on that. Sure, please. Okay. You know that if you cut the back of your hand right now as we're talking, let's say you just reach out or something and you scratch open the, the skin on the back of your hand, and it bleeds and you and you touch it with some cloth and it stops bleeding. You, you're very confident that that's going to heal, correct? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Most of us are. Over a few days, it starts to heal and then a scab will form and then the scab will fall off and there might be a little line there. And most likely, eventually, the line will go away. Correct? Mm-hmm. Who did that? I mean, genetics, the human body's ability to repair. I mean, are, are you are you trying to say I that? Who did that? Did you do that or somebody else do that? Body's automatic function is doing that, right? Whose body's automatic Mine. function? Thank you. So, <laughs> so you, so you did that. You sure. healed that wound, correct? Sure. Yeah. Okay. And you used an important word when you described how you healed it. You said automatic, mm-hmm. right? You said automatic, right? Suppose you were able to take volitional control of what presently is automatic. Suppose you could go inside with a laser focus of your mind and get an understanding of how you went about healing that wound. Suppose you could, with a tool, go inside with the laser focus of your mind and get such an understanding of the biochemical electrical process that went on to create that healing that you could guide it because you understood it so greatly by watching it with your mind that you could then guide that process yourself and take volitional control of the healing of that wound. If you could start with that, then with greater practice, you might be addressing 
your kidney, your liver, your heart, your pancreas, or any other part of your body that needed healing because you would be in charge of what is presently an automatic function. Mm -hmm. And I think LSD has the potential with practice to enable the human mind, or perhaps I should say human consciousness, bigger than the mind, to allow human consciousness to self-heal. And that's where I think the action is. I, there's plenty of action, of course, the way Steve Jobs used it with creativity with Apple mm-hmm. and the way Paul Sagan used it with creativity with astronomy. Mm-hmm. And Watson and Crick used it yep. for the discovery of the DNA molecule. That's all great stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Elon Musk is using it with Tesla. In fact, <laughs> would surprise me very much if he's not sure sure in fact you you point to any creative genius around the united states nowadays and i'd say it's highly likely that they're using psychedelic medicine to enhance their research work you know dr miller i think it's really interesting and and this is why i think information and the work that you are doing is so important is you know several years ago when we started doing this show we interviewed uh tom schroeder he i'm sure you you know of his work he wrote a book called uh, acid test i i believe he even won a pulitzer uh for for something related to that work but i remember that day or that night after we had recorded the episode and i remember just hesitating enough you know and thinking after i published this how is that going to affect, you know, my career? How's that going to affect me? And, you know, I just, it was almost as if it's taboo to discuss this. And times have changed. Things are changing rapidly. You know, things have evolved. And thankfully, we're coming to this point where, turning point, as you stated, where now we are starting to accept the science behind these medicines, the the quality of these medicines and it's it's no longer as much of an ideology you know it's not no longer much of a fear it's still there you know but i think i think now at least we're we're discussing it we're having conversations like this unafraid we're not afraid to talk about the potential healing effects of these compounds and it's clear you know and i got a really amazing email one day after a show like this and um it was someone who had served in the military and she said she said xavier thank you so much for putting out episodes such as this because it really helped me come to the point of a decision to to try it to to give it a try because she was suffering from ptsd she had served our country and she came back and she was broken she she couldn't sleep i mean she's having all kinds of issues. So how often does that come up in in your practice where people are hitting a wall in their recovery and then you you know you add in this this compound that that helps them get moved past that. It, it, I don't know the numbers. But it's hap- the story you just told about the vet 
is happening all over the United States and all around the world. And I can give you many stories from my own practice. Some of them are vets, some are not vets. I interviewed one woman on my radio program who was, uh, who was a whistleblower at Fox and she was fired. They ruined her career and she had severe PTSD and used MDMA. And we talked about it on the radio program. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, I mean, she was a you know, person in the, in the public view, uh, who benefited greatly, but there are people who are not in the public view. There are people all over the world. Uh, the Israelis, you know, have done a lot of work with PTSD with uh, uh, with their people who have suffered because of the terrible things that are going on there. So, you know, there there are breakthroughs happening. Rick Doblin thinks that uh, that uh, MDMA may be a prescribable medicine either by 2020 or 2021. So that's going to be a major uh, a major breakthrough, mm -hmm. and it's and what that means by breakthrough is that means that people now who are suffering and are not getting anywhere with their PTSD treatment will have a medicine available to them that's going to enhance their treatment markedly. And, and that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing for the whole country. Uh, I'm also hoping that uh, enough people are going to get involved uh, taking these various psychedelic medicines so that we're going to see more of a consciousness change, which is going to then have an effect over time on the political situation, which is not only getting, it's not getting better in this country, it's getting much worse in my opinion. Mm. And, and, and there's a lot of, uh, of regression, uh, to a time of, uh, uh, when it, when things were a lot less pleasant and, and it appears that that's the direction we've been going in the last couple of years with, uh, with, with, with how to put it, um, support, mm. support for negativity mm. and the selling on an even grander scale of fear. The public, American public has been fed fear by politicians th throughout my life. That's part of the, the name of the game. They sell fear. And it's very sad. It's very unfortunate. But, I, but sometimes there's less fear and sometimes there's more fear uh, being sold to us. Uh, right now, in the last couple of years, uh, fear is being sold wholesale. And some of it is just psychological fear that's being sold about and, and, it's, and it's, it has no basis in reality. But it's, you know, fear of other, fear of bad people, fear of, you know, Mexicans, mm -hmm. fear of Muslims, you know, fear of, of fear of our own species. That's part of the fear that's being sold. But the other thing that's going on, as you mentioned that I mentioned in my book, the other thing that's going on that's also that's horrific is the continuation of something started in the Nixon Reagan administration. Okay which is a massive socioeconomic stratification, pushing the middle class down, pushing the lower class down further, increasing homelessness, because when you push down, those at the bottom get pushed out, literally pushed out. The upper one tenth of 1% of the population 
are expanding their control of the of the country. Their asset base base is expanding. The numbers are well known. There's one family in this country that alone are worth the same amount of money as the lower 150 million people in this country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the Walmart family. So things are have been allowed by us, we the people, we've allowed them to get so out of balance that we've got this incredible socioeconomic stratification that is just ruining our country, ruining the people. And one of the most obvious symptoms of the pain that our country is going through is the fact that at this time, as we speak, Xavier, 72% of the American population are obese or overweight. Hmm. The country is telling the world and telling itself how much it's suffering by, by hurting each person of that 72%, destroying themselves with, with, by being overweight. It's one of the worst possible health things you can do to yourself. It stresses everything. There is there's no longer any rational basis for maintaining extra weight because we now have clothing that protects us from cold and we have heating in homes that protects us from cold. And the purpose that the fat served was to protect us from cold. Otherwise, it serves no purpose. And, but what it does do is it costs us because for every pound of extra fat we have, we have to supply it with energy. And that's like having a store that you have to pay for and doesn't make any income. Hmm. If you own 20 stores, let's say you own 100 stores, and 72 of them, 72%, cost you money, and they don't give anything back. You have to survive on the other 28%. How long can you do that? How long can how long can this country go on with 72 percent suffering so greatly because they're feeding parts of their own body that give them nothing back? Sure, sure. But what that energy of feeding that, that that extra poundage, what that energy costs is it costs the immune system because every drop of that energy that goes to support that overweight could be used by the immune system. And instead, it's being used to support a cost center that gives nothing back. It's a total waste of energy. Mm-hmm. In the business world, it would be like having a franchise that's losing all the time. It's a, it's, a, it's a waste of money. That's the situation we're in. And so the people of our country are suffering so greatly that they are telling us, ourselves, how much they're suffering by hurting themselves Mm. and showing it in our faces. Because when you walk down the street, you can't help but notice when there's 72% around you who are obese or overweight, it's in your face all the time. Wow, yeah. You can can hide it to a certain extent if you're taking too much heroin or cocaine or maybe methamphetamine even. There's a lot of things you can hide. But you can't you can't hide obesity, and you can't hide overweight. 
So let me let me bump in here, Doctor Miller. I you know I it's it's so resounding every everything that you're talking about. I I really connect with it on every possible level. And I thought you know what a better way to celebrate the Fourth of July other than to have this conversation today here to you know to mark our freedom today by having this conversation about the powers of these medicines to heal. And you know I'm sure that you heard of this I mean, hopefully you did but there was there was an event ha- that happened just a couple months ago where there was a a 71 year old grandmother that was boarding a flight i think it was dallas airport in texas and she had a bottle of cbd oil on her and i guess it was the tsa they arrested her at the airport 71 year old grandmother she's not she's not a drug dealer and, you know, and then it's, it's so interesting, you know, and just connecting with the socioeconomic aspect of this, of the, the upper and lower class, there was also the, this admission scandal, this, this Ivy League admission school scandal where uh, these, these kids were getting these free rides basically if, you know, their, their wealthy parents paid. And the guy that was brokering the deals he you know, he received over $600,000 i think if i remember correctly for for negotiating the entrance of you know these wealthy kids and when he was sentenced he got a day in jail time served and yet and yet a, a, a grandmother traveling through an airport with cbd you know it's it just it's absurd but now you know it seems like i i was surprised to see that oakland has you know turned the corner on a lot of this legislate legislation but you know i do, i i see it as such a it's a small victory but i mean what are, what are you really doing here you're decriminalizing nature you know okay so it's okay for us now to take mushrooms ayahuasca peyote and, and you know it's it's no longer I'm not going to be in jail. And you know the the idea here is okay. Well, you know, sir, you're you're ruining your life. You know, you're destroying your life by using these these substances. So here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to put you in jail, so you can sort your life out. So I mean, what? Where do you think? Where do you see the future of this? You know, and yes, Rick Doblin, he's a really important character in this story of for humanity. And it, yeah, I, I've talked to him um, and he does talk about getting MDMA to a point by 2022, I think he said, where it's a prescription drug. But and it, it, where where do you think we're going to be headed in the next five, 10 years? Well, <laughs> that's <laughs> it's a great question, and <laughs> I can tell you where I hope we're headed, and I tell you where I where we seem to be headed. <laughs> where, where I where I hope we're headed is towards a renaissance in consciousness, where people like yourself and the people listening to your program start to organize, because change comes through organization organization the reason we won the revolutionary war was because of organization 
because Benjamin Franklin was one of the most organized people around, and so was George Washington. Mm. They were highly organized. Mm -hmm. Benjamin Franklin started a group called the Junto in 1743, 10 people. They met every week. Out of that group came the University of Pennsylvania, the first fire department, and the Postal Service. When people try to join that group, Franklin said, no, start your own. At one point, he said to the other nine people in the Junto, each of you go out and start another Junto in addition. These Juntos proliferated, proliferated around the United States, and they were very important in our Revolutionary War because the Sons of Liberty carried word on horseback from Junto, junto to Junto. They were the committees of correspondence they became. Information as it is now was key during the revolution. I'm making this point because it's a point about organization. It's not enough to listen and beef. It's not enough to complain. Mm. It's not enough to hear these words that you and I, Xavier, are talking about and trying to wave the flag mm. to the public that it's time for a change. Mm -hmm. All of that is great stuff. But eventually what it comes down to is organizing and sharing information. The telephones, the cell phones are tremendous pieces of equipment for that because of the rapidity of sharing of information and because the average person now can take a photograph and share it with the world. Those are huge steps that make organization more possible. But even these words that I'm speaking to a government are dangerous words because, wow. because the government does not want people organizing. The reason the government's more powerful than anybody else is because it has a larger organization. <laughs> yeah. And the reason the corporations now own the government is because the a corporation is an extremely organized, a really organized group of people. They have a structure. They have a power structure. They have job delegation. They have franchises. The word can go from the top to the bottom, to the left, to the right, extremely rapidly, and people can all be moved in a certain direction. That is organization. Hmm. You know, that, I, sorry. That's my answer to your question. What is it going to take to change? It's going to take organization and communication. And it can be done, but it's a monumental, it's a big task. But you know what? Beating, beating England, which was the greatest country in the world, mm -hmm. for us to, to beat them in a revolutionary war with a, with a group of, basically a group of farmers who knew how to shoot guns, eh, that was quite a feat in and of itself as well. So we've done and it before. We've done it before. And, and I, do, I do want to make a little comment. You, you said earlier in the introduction something about uh, Liberty Fries on, on July 4th. <laughs> yes. and, and I want, I want to take exception to that. I, I, and I'm not blaming you, but these politicians who turned their back on France because France wouldn't join us in right. some fight somewhere else in the world. And all of a sudden, we, we, we have the audacity to change French fries to Liberty fries. <laughs> their memories are too short because without the French, we would not have won the Revolutionary War. It was their Navy that fought the British Navy that was blockading us and stopping us from getting help. And when, they, when the French Navy did that, that was huge help. 
And, and when the Marquis de Lafayette, a 21-year-old kid, a, a young man, I should say, came here, he brought, I think he bought what, something like what nowadays would be a billion dollars and a, and a small army. People don't know that. He didn't just drop over himself. And the, he was so close to the king of France that for him to be here at Washington's side was, was huge. So that when Ben Franklin went to the king of France to try to get him to join us, and he worked on it until he finally succeeded, the fact that Lafayette was here was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a story about winning. And I'm saying we won before against odds that nobody could believe were possible. We could win again, but we better get organized because the other side that's keeping us in the dark secrets of the night are very organized. Sure. They're they're f- heavily funded. They're very well funded by these megalithic corporations. And in the name of profit, they are pushing legislation that affects us on in an everyday basis. And, you know, I, I it reminds me of a quote. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase this. I might butcher this, but it's from the <laughs> Dalai Lama. And he says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, just remember the last time that there was a mosquito in your room before you fell asleep. You know? uh, so, so it's it's not that we're we're too small, and and I think that's that's the error in thinking. You know, that's the that's sometimes that 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 little voice in our minds that says, you know, no, I'm, I'm not big enough to make a difference. And my voice doesn't make a difference. It does. Your voice does make a difference. And, you know, there was something in your book that I loved. Um, it's, it's something you said about Thomas Jefferson. And you said um, that Thomas Jefferson told us over 200 years ago that the Constitution should be rewritten every 20 years for every new generation because it gets out of date. Right. And, you know, I agree with this. You know, I really see this. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get it together because, you know, I, I don't, I would, you know, I would be, I don't know where things would be for the next generation, the generation after that, if we don't do something here and now and beyond just these words. In North Korea, There are prisons called the prison of three generations. And what that means is if a man gets arrested and sent to prison, everybody in his family of his generation goes to prison with him. But everybody in his family above him, meaning his parents and his grandparents and his children, they all go to prison as well. So they wipe out three generations of a family. All the cousins, all the brothers, all the sisters, all the aunts, all the uncles, all the children, three generations right across get wiped out. And they send them to these prisons. And what has happened there is that people are born there live their whole lives there, and they die there. And they believe that that is life. That is life. 
They don't know anything out that goes on outside of that those prisons. Hmm. The stories that come out of there are stories of a system whereby what we call ratting is rewarded. That's the one of the best things you can possibly do. Hmm. And they've got turning each other in as such a highly rewarded thing that people turn in their own parents for infractions, knowing that their parents will be shot in front of them. And when their parents are shot in front of them, the reaction of the children is to be happy because they believe that they have done the right thing. They have told on their parents and their parents were properly executed and eliminated. I'm telling this story because it's a story of what is happening on this planet. It's a story of, to a certain extent, of what happened in Russia between 1917 after the revolution and when the, the, the Soviet Union came apart under Gorbachev 70 years later. Mm-hmm. People were born and died believing that the world was the way they saw it around them. Hmm. And that's what it was and it is in the prison of three generations. And what I'm saying to you is if we don't do something about the situation we're in, we will be the prison of three generations because in a few generations, they won't know any different. There'll be fewer and fewer to remind them that there are other ways of living where love can trump fear. But if you don't even know there's such a thing as love and you were born and raised and died and lived your entire life and the only emotion, the the predominant emotion was fear, that's what life is. There's nothing to compare it to. It's sort of like the story of Vladimir Horowitz being asked, what was it like growing up as a prodigy? And he said, I have no idea. I had nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's, I, I love your words, Dr. Miller. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm so glad. I, I know we kind of, you know, spent a lot of time in this conversation just talking about the, the socioeconomic conditions of what's going on here and the political aspects of this. But I think the the legislation of this is something that we really need to address and look at. And we how much, how much time do we have left, Xavier? We have six minutes left. Let me see if I could say a couple of more words about psychedelic medicine in my book. And because, you know, that was our topic. Please do. OK. I think the greatest potential in the psychedelic medicines that as I see them right now are in LSD and MDMA. Um, psilocybin appears to have a lot of potential as well, particularly for depression. I have some concerns about it as a medicine, not because I think it's dangerous in any way, but because with a relatively high percentage of people, it has a side effect, which is nausea and, and discomfort. And that's a big thing for a lot of people to get over. 
You move down one, or not down, but along the line to ayahuasca, and there you have a major side effect of stomach upset that uh, leads to sometimes explosive uh, regurgitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that in ayahuasca circles, it's quite common for everybody, every person who's sitting in the circle that's going to ingest ayahuasca to have a bowl to throw up into. Sure. So I, I have reservations about that as a medicine also uh, because of the, of the severity of the, of the regurgitation and also because I've, I don't buy into the, uh, the, 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 the psychobabble that the reason for the regurgitation is that you're throwing up Talk psychological about. junk from the past. Sure. The reason you're throwing up is because ayahuasca is an emetic. It makes human beings puke, pure and simple. I got that from Stephen Beyer, who wrote the book uh, Talking to the Plants. Uh, Dennis uh, McKenna has also uh, verified that, the famous ethnobotanist uh, that you mentioned. You've had on your show. I've had him on my show. It's an emetic. It makes you throw up. So that's a side effect. That doesn't mean it's a bad medicine or or a dangerous medicine, but it means a lot of people are going to have to deal with that. I'm I'm a, a realist and a pragmatist. For, for me, the, the best kind of medicine is a medicine that causes the least discomfort and gives the most effect. Fair enough. If you have if you have to fight your way through uh, uh, negative effects, whether it's vomiting or headaches or various other kinds of things, you got to fight on your hands. Let's see if we can find something better. We, we we don't have those kind of effects. There are some fe- effects that some people have with MDMA and LSD. It's pretty rare. And as Dave Nichols, you know, one of the greatest pioneers in, in research of uh, psychedelic medicine, said on my program, you may have had him on yourself. Nobody's ever died from LSD. Mm-hmm. Pure and simple. No one. There's no recorded death from LSD. That's a very important thing for the public to know because there's so many of these rumors that have gone on. And we're talking about, I had a patient of mine took, took 10 times, 10 times a normal dose of LSD, took 2,000 micrograms. And he had a big experience, but he sure as heck didn't die. And he didn't end up in the emergency room. I'm not here to tell you that I think people should go out and do that by any means. Definitely but I'm, not. I'm using it as an example sure. of how far somebody could go with this and still you know, be okay. It's it's not a lethal medicine, in other words. That's important to know because of all the disinformation that's been out there. Right. Uh, I want to say that if, if your listeners have not had experience with these medicines and they're thinking of doing so, in addition to my book, which I think is, is worth reading because you have the best scientists in the United States t- telling it as it is. Uh, and you've had many of them on your program, Xavier. Um, and the other book to read is Jim Fadiman's The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. Have you had him yep. on your program? Yeah. You have? Sure. Okay, great. Th- then I'm just validating what you <laughs> that book. That book is a must because that my book tells you what the scientists are telling you. Jim's book tells you that's the recipe, how-to. And you want to follow the how-to because when you follow the how-to, you're taking a substance and you're using it medicinally. Right. I mean, that's, I, I think, you know, yeah, I love the book 
and I loved the the format in which you used and just going right to the source. You're going to the people that are making the changes in in this community and in this movement. Um, I think it's important to note that you know in in the '90s and during the "Just Say No to Drugs" campaign, we were given this model of the brain, which was that once you once gray cells or gray matter in the brain was gone, it never came back. Right. And then in the early 2000s, scientists started to pick up on this idea of neurogenesis and they found out that psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD, these types of compounds were actually regrowing parts of the brain. Yes. So, you know, I I think it's important to reeducate the people into an awareness of how the science has changed. You know, the, the stuff that we were told when we were growing up and for my generation, it just, it flat out is wrong. It's a propaganda, you know, reefer madness. I mean, that, that was propaganda as well. The stuff you were told, Xavier, was misleading. It was erroneous. It was wrong, pure and simple. And it's a new day. There's a renaissance going on and programs like yours. And I thank you very much for having your program because you're one of the mosquitoes in the room that's helping. <laughs> you are. You're one of the mosquitoes in the room that's helping keep keep us awake, and we need to be awake. Doctor Miller, I love it. Thank you so much for your time today on this holiday, giving us your time with this amazing read. Um, I really do recommend picking up this book, guys. It's a really great way to get into what these medicines can do for you. Dr. Miller, where can people go and find your work? Where The website, where can they go? Well, we have a website, uh, The Psychedelic Medicine Book, and you can go to that. Uh, easy to find me on Google, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. You've got to use my middle name, Dr. Richard Lewis, L-O-U-I-S Miller. The book, Psychedelic Medicine, is easily available on Amazon, Xavier. So, uh, you know, that's the easiest place to get to it. We'll we'll make that link available for people. And then you're a broadcaster as well. You have your own show. So why don't you plug that as well? Oh, that's kind of you. Uh, my program is called Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. And uh, Xavier and I have interviewed many of the same people, and uh, it's worth hearing them on his program. I I love the job you're doing, Xavier. You're doing a great job. It's been a lovely interview with you. I've enjoyed it immensely. And uh, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is my program. And you can see a a lot of interesting uh, programs that I've archived on there that I think uh, you'll find them interesting and some of them quite educational. (laughs) Dr. Miller, have you ever, last last thing for you here, have you ever gotten the comparison, because I'm looking at this picture of you, which we're broadcasting right now, have you ever gotten the comparison to Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad, uh, Walter White? You look like that guy. Do you, have you ever yeah. gotten that comparison? I, a lot of people have told Brian Cranston that he looks like me. <laughs> okay. I know that. And, uh, <laughs> and sometimes he kids me about it, because how many people tell him that? And that's about all I know about it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Fair enough. Guys, you heard it here. We're going to get out of here. Thank you so much if you're listening to this this broadcast. My guest, his name is Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. The book is called Psychedelic Medicine, The Healing Powers of LSD, MDMA, Psilocybin, and Ayahuasca. Highly recommend going and picking up this book and giving it a read. I really enjoyed it. We are going to get out of here. If you are listening to this on the YouTube version, please 
click subscribe, click the bell. That way you know when we go live. If you're listening to this on the podcast version, go over to iTunes, leave us a review, and help us you know, stay relevant so that people can find the show and learn more about it. The biggest compliment that you can give us for this show is when you share it with your family and friends. I hope that you enjoy that the work that we're putting in. We put a lot of work into doing this. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week.